This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 63. This week, we dedicate the entire episode to Mark Fussell and Service Fabric. This week, we have Mark Fussell. He is Principal Program Manager that works on the Azure Service Fabric team. He's been working on the team since it was founded six years ago, and previously he worked on projects like WCF, uh, developer platforms, and application platforms. Welcome, Mark. Great to be here, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, been wanting to get you on the show for for a long time. You've been you've been on our list for for a long, long time. Yes. And because uh, I I love Service Fabric, and not a lot of people understand what it is, so I I just wanted to get that information out there. So this is uh, I think a great opportunity. We're in such a great place right now. Yes. Uh, Carl, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Okay. So what do we got for feedback this week? Uh, from Alan Underwood on Twitter, uh, he said, "Nice talk about machine learning and Azure on the latest uh, MS Dev Show." We thank you for your uh, nice comments there. Yeah, he's been listening forever. Yes, he has been. And he also has a podcast of his own. So if you would like to get an ultimate Infragistics license like Alan, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, our website. You can leave a comment there. You can leave a review on iTunes uh, or Stitcher. We check those as well. It's just simply that easy. And uh, like we had mentioned in the past, uh, this is a a pretty substantial uh, package that Infragistics is uh, handing out every week. I think it's a little over $2,000 each week worth of uh, Infragistics licenses we give out. So uh, yeah, make sure you leave a comment. Um, And then there is one thing that you wanted to mention, Carl, I know in the news, uh, just topic voting, right? Yes. So to remind you, if you go to our our website this week, we'll have a link to... uh, where you can uh, vote on the show topics like this one right here. Um, We have a bunch of them out there and uh, you can just go to the individual cards and vote on the ones that you want us to uh, try and reach out to next. And if there's something out there missing, once again, just reach out to us. Our email address is feedback at msdevshow.com. We'd love to hear what you guys want to learn about. Yep. And this episode in particular had some votes out there. So that's why we're talking about it. Okay, so let's let's just get in and talk to Mark. So just just so everybody's aware, um, we're pre-recording this episode, and that's why we're sort of skipping past all of the uh, the news this week. We're going to keep it nice and short because uh, we just wanted to talk to Mark, and uh, um, so we're recording this episode about a week before it actually gets published. So let's just talk to him. Uh, so Mark, you want to give us um, a little bit of background on uh, on your role and what you do at Microsoft? Yeah, so uh, I've been working on uh, developer platforms and. Uh, uh, back-end technologies inside Azure for many years. And, you know, I've always been interested in building application platforms. And, uh, you know, I just worked through WCF for a number of years. Um, and when we shipped WCF, I realized that we created, created a great platform for sort of communication side of things. But we needed to do a lot more for developers to build an application platform for be able to hosting your services. Um, and then, of course, you know, as Microsoft has been building services over a number of years, we realized that we needed a platform internally um, to host our own services. Um, and so particularly, you know, we, when we started f- focusing on a service like SQL Azure, which allows you to scale hundreds and hundreds of Azure databases, we had to realize that we had to approach this in a quite different way. Um, and we had to make things sure that they were scalable, uh, reliable, um, highly available, and you know, basically do it on a cloud perspective. So, you know, the role of an application platform, particularly in the cloud world, has changed dramatically. And so, you know, we I got very interested in how we address those sort of problems with uh, developers. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I know whenever you explain Service Fabric, you 
you know, I've seen a couple of your, your presentations, you always compare it to a, a traditional like N tier architecture. And I'm wondering if we should, uh, if we should start by sort of explaining, you know, like current, like how people build things today and then, you know, compare and compra- contrast what uh, service fabric is. Yes. Yeah. In fact, that's exactly where we should start. So, I mean, you know, not long ago or even now, you know, most of us were happy developers and we wrote code and delivered features every two years. And we, you know, did this sort of fairly tightly integrated product mm-hmm. and we kind of tested it all and shipped it all. And, you know, we, we had to kind of, become, we thought about end-tier architectures because it produced this holistic thing that we shipped. Well, you know, now what's happening in with the cloud is that we have to think about the demands of scale and reliability in a different way across the whole system. And we also have to think about agility a lot more as well in that we have to ship things more frequently and independently. Um, and so developers now you know, can't just think about a feature set anymore. They have to think about scale, availability, you know, some of the latency requirements, the whole life cycle of running a service and what does it mean for doing daily updates, uh, weekly updates of new features. Uh, they have to think about how they can move code as well, portability between on-premise and the cloud and you know, do sort of hybrid architectures. So there's a lot more different demands that it's not that you didn't have to think about before, but you had to think about in a, uh, across the spectrum of all pieces of your application. And so, you know, before when we built these N-tier architectures, you know, we had this tightly integrated thing. Now there's very much this concept of decomposing these things down so that all the capabilities of scale, reliability are encapsulated in each one of the components. And then we think about, you know, talking between them all. So there's this emergence really in the term of what's called, you know, services that are decomposed of microservices and what they consist of. And we noticed this a lot in all of our Microsoft services that we were building. The fact that we wanted teams to be agile in terms of how they push things out and um, built various aspects of the, the service that were cloud enabled. And it was very much thinking about how the service is born in the cloud rather than just developed as a monolithic end-tier uh, application that you're porting on onto a set of VMs. Yeah, whenever I've seen you present this, what what I always find interesting is you sort of draw you, you draw out this this diagram where you show these web server front ends, and then you have you know sort of these back end servers. And it, actually, in some cases, it's not, not even the case. I mean, I'm sure people have built applications where they have sort of front end, and then they'll they'll have you know back end is really just their database. And you draw this nice picture and everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that that looks good. Like, that's how we've done things. The world is a good place. And then and then you're like, oh, well, you know, your application can't quite talk to the database fast enough as you scale up. So then you're like, oh, we'll just fix this. And you basically you put a cache in there and it doesn't feel like a bandaid at the time, but it really is. And then as you as you walk through this story, yes, you yes. know, and everybody's run into this like, oh, well, this thing here isn't too fast enough. Right. You had another bandaid. And and when you're done with this, this diagram becomes horribly complex. It looks so simple in the beginning, but now you're like, oh, you know what? This whole architecture kind of looks like crap. Um, and, it, and it works. I mean, let's yes. let's let's be honest with ourselves. It works like people have applications out. There's probably listeners like, yeah, I built my stuff that way and it's all good. Like I, the world can't really be any better than that. But I I love it because it shows that you know, it, it, it isn't perfect and maybe there is a better way. And then whenever you start talking about service fabric, then you start showing how you, you, you build these things, you know, just thinking about it in a, in a new distributed way, it can be simple. It can be fast and you can realize all these benefits. And I think that's, that's, what's really cool about it. Exactly. So the, the, the direction of service fabric and it's, you know, it's a platform that we built internally for Microsoft to host some of our largest services. So we have mm-hmm. event hubs built on it, for example, and event hubs deals with billions of transactions each week. Uh, we have Intune, which is a sort of device management for the cloud. It manages, you know, 
uh, hundreds of thousands of devices inside there. You know, we have Azure databases um, and you know, we have machines running on tens of thousands of machines running, you know, one and a half million Azure databases. And all of these systems, you know, we realized that, you know, had to be able to run at scale and they had to be able to start off small and scale up. And, you know, the design of these things was quite different. But yes, you're right. One of the key uh, um, aspects of Service Fabric is that we wanted to kind of help with some of the cloud design patterns that people see. And one of those, of course, as you point out, is, you know, is latency and, and just how you, where you store your state. So, you know, traditionally when we built applications, we said, well, here's a web tier. And then we did some middle tier processing and then we wrote everything to a back end store. And then what used to happen is like, well, my backend store isn't fast enough. Um, you know, what do I do? So I put a cache in the middle there. You know, so I pull all my data in there. So, of course, that helps with some of the reads, but still doesn't help with some of the writes. Um, and then, of course, if I want to talk between my components, like between my web front end and my backend processing, I have to stick a queue between them all. So one aspect that Service Fabric actually brings is this concept of, uh, 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 of stateful services, where we actually give high availability directly into the stateful code that you write. And what that means is it brings this design simplicity. It means that because your services are actually stateful and hold all the code and compute together, you don't actually have to have a cache anymore because your application is reliable and stateful. And also when you have a call that comes from the web client to your stateful service, you don't actually have to uh, have a queue in between because you know we provide the consistency and reliability there because what happens with a stateful service is we automatically make replica copies on other machines, which is why you're taking advantage of these other stores. So it's very interesting. A lot of designs turn out when you start to look at stateful services as a design pattern that you can get rid of these caches and get rid of these queues and you can simply have a web front end talking to the stateful service. And what that means is you can scale those things out rapidly because you don't have to scale other stores to go with them. And also it means that your, your data and your code is self-contained. Um, and it makes for a very uh, more straightforward design in terms of how you think about these applications. So I was wondering if you could give us a, a, a good definition for what service fabric is, because I know a lot of people out there. Um, you know, they understand the architecture and they're just trying to, yeah. you know, trying to figure out where this fits in. Yeah, yes. and we're talking about the aspects of like what it gets you, but like, you know, like what is it at the core? Yeah. So, so at its core, what Service Fabric does is it allows you to build what we call sort of born in the cloud services. So, you know, what's happening inside, you know, as industry as a whole is people are looking at uh, services or applications they built on premise and they're wanting to do global reach now or they're wanting to be able to provide a service to their customers. So, you know, we have a number of customers today who have on-premise applications and they're saying, well, I want to be able to provide that as a service to my customers so I can reach them in other parts of the world, in Brazil, in China, things like this. Plus, it's better for me to have reached to these other customers because before I had to go in and install an application on-premise and manage it all on their premise. Now, instead, I can provide a subscription offering. Of course, you know, the demands of those services require you to think about scale and uh, reliability, uh, uh, management, and all these other capabilities. So Service Fabric is an application platform for building cloud services at scale. And importantly, it allows you to decompose those applications down into smaller pieces of code that we call sort of microservices, each of which have those characteristics. Um, so you can scale, provide reliability, and do DevOps-type management on these things. So it's an application that we, Microsoft, have bet big on in terms of building our services. And now we're sort of offering that out to uh, you know, to customers to say, here, if you want to come to Azure, 
rather than looking at what a VM does today, because if you walk up to a VM today and say, you know, I want to build a service for the cloud, you, you need more than just a set of machines. You need a platform to be able to help you deal with the scale requirements of this. Right. I have, I have code and I, you know, just running it on that machine, there's still a whole bunch of layers that I have to put in there. So yeah, I, I really just want to run my code. Correct. Yes. I just want to be able to run my code. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I just want to write some code and you, you, you know, have a platform that runs it for me and takes care of all of the hard problems. You know, what does it mean when a machine fails? Um, you know, let's take an example. Say you had to write a service today and you were running it on five machines and one of those machines failed and you had some code on it. Well, well what do you do? You know, there it was on that machine. It's died. I'd, I'd give the user a cryptic error. Yeah, give you a cryptic error. And so now it's my responsibility. Okay, you know, that machine died. First, did I know it died? Yeah. And then when it died, it's like, okay, what was on it? And then what do I do with what was on it? And where do I place it all again? And then how do I restart it all? And if I lost any information on there, what do I do? Well, you know, there's five problems I have to think about when a machine died. So, you know, when you use a platform, you know, what happens with something like Service Fabric is, okay, that machine died. Well, first off, you know, Service Fabric will detect that the machine died for you. Great. Next, it will say, I know on that machine you had, you know, a database service running, uh, a business process service running, and you know, maybe some other uh, logical app process running. And I can go and look at the other available machines and place those on those other machines for you. Um, and then, of course, I can restart those applications for you so I can make them reliable for you. Um, now, um, you know, I can also say to you, um, I can log some telemetry for you and say what failed and things like this. And all of this is taken care of for you. So as you just said, I just write some code. Would, would it be oversimplistic to say that this is really like a framework for running microservices? And, and you know, maybe there's a whole bunch of other features, but is, is that really what it is at the core? If, if, if you really wanted to explain it to somebody really quickly? Yes, I'd say at the core, it's a framework for how you build you know, services that run in the cloud that are mm-hmm. composed of microservices that you know decompose them down so you have the ability to have scale out reliability and DevOps agility in that. And um, importantly, you know that um, framework allows you to you know make sure that you don't get bottlenecked so that if your service grows, because quite frankly, you know we've had a lot of cases where scale is unpredictable. Um, people have started off with a few machines, and all of a sudden they've hit success. And yeah, you know, all good of a sudden, problems to have. It's a good problem to have, yeah. And all of a sudden, they had to like re-architect a whole app. Well, one of the concepts of a microservice architecture is that you can just say, "Oh, it's okay. We were running three before. Why don't you just run three thousand of them now?" And Service Fabric deals with all that auto scaling for you, and you don't have to redesign your app. Okay. So I'm I'm sure all of our listeners are are finally understanding why this is so cool. <laughs> At least I hope they are. Um, is there kind of a sniff test for applications that are best suited for for this technology? Well, in many ways, what we've looked at and seen across the spectrum of the types of apps is that um, you know we've seen apps that. Let me give you some examples. We've seen apps that are uh, let's see. There's a big sure. uh, drive nowadays towards Internet of Things, IoT style apps. Um, and they're very suited because we have a number of customers who are building no style apps where they have lots and lots of data coming in and they want to run some rules on that data. Um, let's give an example of a, a Microsoft type one there. The back end of Cortana, our, you know, our assistant that runs on the phone, runs on Service Fabric. And, uh, and there they have all of these data feeds that come from uh, airline information, finance, uh, traffic information. And you know they're running all these rules on your subscription. So you might have a rule that goes, um, you know, tell me if there's a traffic alert within 40 mile radius of where I currently am. Well, they want to run all these rules all the time, 
on low latency. So you hit all these rules um, and then fire your events. So, you know, we have customers who sort of fall into that category. We have customers who are like deal with oil and gas pipelines where they have lots and lots of data coming from devices and they want to run some rules and send off notifications. There it works very well because you can have these individual pieces of code that are running these rules. You can scale them all up and you can fire these events and these notifications. So that's sort of one class. Um, another class we've seen is sort of just business processing applications where you just want to be able to run these at scale. So, for example, uh, you know, we have some healthcare providers and they sort of do the business processing around healthcare management of, of, you know, of how you manage the healthcare records of people. And they have individual pieces of code that represent people that scale them all out and they're sort of the business process around them all. Um, and then the final one that we look at as well quite a lot is sort of uh, databases and stores and building stores that run at scale. That's probably a little bit more unique as a category, um, but we certainly have some customers who've sort of built mm -hmm. these large scaled out stores that have um, high scale and high throughput. Um, and event hubs for us is a little bit like that. You know, we have this high scale throughput service where we can store all this data. Um, SQL Azure is one of those ones, but we've had a few customers that fall into that sort of category. So, you know, pretty much it's a general purpose platform where if you have any form of business app that you run, run to the cloud, um, whether it has a, a web front end or business processing, you know, you can host it in Service Fabric. So uh, the Azure site lists that this is uh, battle tested uh, as a feature, and you've mentioned a few applications like uh, Cortana that have been used this, but uh, can you name a few others and kind of give a little bit of history about how long this has been used in that way? Yeah, so the core of uh, Service Fabric actually started back about seven or eight years ago when we started building uh, Azure databases um, for, the, for Azure in terms of building a scale-out relational database store. And at that time, you know, there we had, we had SQL Server as a box product, and it was you know, a wonderful box product that we shipped to customers and they installed it on-premise and they set up a relational database. And of course, you know, we had to take a service to the cloud where you, know, you can have a relational database in the cloud and managing you know, tens of thousands of databases on behalf of a customer. Well, we had to look at what was the architecture of a service running like that. And that's where the roots of Service Fabric emerged as we built the first generation of that service. And we learned a huge amount in that time, particularly around the, the management of a service. You know, there are many technologies you can get that allows you to have runtimes to you know, build an application that you deploy. But when it comes down to deployment, uh, no downtime availability, so my service is never down at any particular time, versioning of my application, and particularly telemetry information about the health of my application. We learned a lot from that in terms of how we run a relational database service at scale. So six years ago, we said, well, great, you know, we've released this service. What we want to do now is build a platform across Microsoft because what we were observing is that many, many teams were trying to solve the same problem. Oh, yeah, and, keep rebuilding and, the same thing over and over again. Exactly. And quite frankly, you know, they were having difficulty getting it right. Well, and they're only going to build probably like the, the, the least that they actually have to do, you know, and they're going to skip things like telemetry. Right. And then exactly. And then they're going to have to add that in later. And their service is going to be, you know, kind of sucky for the first six months to 12 months. Yes. And, and I mean, there's, and when you have a when you're trying to build a, a cloud service, which quite frankly is a distributed systems problem, yes, where you have 
tens of machines or even hundreds of machines, you know, there are different sort of problems you need to solve there. You know, one of them, as we talked about, is a machine failing. Another one is a very common problem called leader election, where, you know, you want a single piece of code that's the authority that's running at that point in time. And if it fails, you want another leader to pick up where that processing left off. You know, typically a lot of people take a technology called Zookeeper, which is a very well-known technology for building a leader election type mechanism into your distributed systems application. And so, you know, people had to stitch all these different pieces together. They were taking reliability, you know, um, libraries that did uh, replication. They were taking libraries that did uh, leader election. They were doing libraries that did uh, failover and all of these aspects. And we saw this constantly inside Microsoft. So we said, you know, we need to solve this problem once and for all and have this part of our core platform inside Azure. So, you know, that's the roots of Service Fabric. And from there, you know, we went on to build you know, Skype for Business uh, on-premise, actually runs uh, on Service Fabric. Um, and after that, we went on worked on for Service Bus, uh, also ran using Service Fabric. Um, and then more recently, um, of course, we have Document DB, which is a scaled-out uh, JSON document store. That's another of these very large scaled-out services that replicates uh, you know, all my documents, uh, JSON documents makes them available. Um, we built Event Hubs, uh, SQL Power BI, Intune, Cortana, um, and actually inside Azure itself, more and more so, many of our core services are built there now for uh, providing the reliability and scale-out guarantees. Wow. I mean, that alone should, should you know, kind of show everybody, like, this thing is, it really is battle-tested. I mean, this isn't like, you know, you didn't list like Solitaire and Notepad. <laughs> no, no. And... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, the thing that we were trying to uh, you know, reassure people of is actually Microsoft itself has taken uh, and Azure itself has taken a big bet on this technology. So, you know, so, for example, to give an example of uh, one of those internal services, you know, we recently talked about our Azure resource model mm -hmm. and how you can describe a resource model that composes an application together that uh, allows you to deploy this application across uh, a set of machines inside Azure. Well, the resource providers, which are the things that go and stand up the machines for you. So we have a thing called a compute resource provider for IIS. We have a network resource provider for network. Well, those core Azure services are built on service fabric that are running in many of our data centers. Oh, very cool. Um, I didn't even know that. That's, re that's really cool. That's really cool. Yes. Um, and, you know, we're having more of our services built there. So, for example, we have a service that shows you the state of all of the Azure services internal. You know, we're building that there on top of Service Fabric. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's instrumental to how we're actually advancing uh, core Azure services as well. Okay, really cool. So if, if I'm building a whole bunch of different microservices, I mean, those microservices are typically going to be mismatched. I mean, I might have like a, a microservice that's doing some computation. I might have another microservice that is, you know, it's more about uh, throughput and it's really not using the CPU. I might have another one that's just uh, maybe some state management and it's, you know, storing a whole bunch of things in memory. Um, does, does Service Fabric do anything as far as sort of balancing those within nodes? I mean, how does how does all that work? I mean, how do my... How do my services actually get, you know, sort of allocated across different machines? Yeah, yeah. So you picked up on a, a very interesting and uh, relevant topic. Um, and a lot of this is referred to, is co being commonly referred to as orchestration mm -hmm. of my services. And it, and it falls very much into what's also called the container world as well. Well, and I think of it too as like, as just utilization. So I know I've talked on this show before about this, but um, 
you know, it's interesting. We went, we went from, we obviously had mainframe days and then, and then whenever we had individual servers in the early server days, I think what people would do is they would, um, you know, you'd throw a bunch of stuff on a server and people realized that some isolation was good. So you'd, you'd actually have like one application per physical server. Then yeah. virtualization came around and really revolutionized things. And, and it, we, we figured out how to run, you know, eight different things in, in eight different virtual servers on a server. And then we got yeah. really good at continuing to pack, you know, we, we had a whole bunch more cores, more CPU systems designed for virtualization. And then we go to the next level, which is, you know, like public cloud infrastructure so basically the whole time we were just super optimizing for, for utilization. How, how can we best take advantage of, of the hardware that we have? And this just takes that to a whole nother level. Correct. I mean, and, and you're, you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of the concept of what microservices architecture is, how you're decomposing these things down into smaller units of code, but all of them have the characteristics of being able to scale out and become reliable and be managed as necessary mm -hmm. and communicate between themselves with well-known protocols like REST and things so they can be scaled up independently. And yeah, this virtualization and service fabric takes this to a whole new level. So, you know, we talk about a lot of container technologies, but a container today is still just kind of is a an encapsulation for a set of code. It doesn't necessarily know about what the application is. What Service Fabric does is it takes it to the next level because you build against a set of runtimes that we provide for building these stateless and stateful microservices. We can individually move pieces of code within between the containers mm -hmm. and across those VMs. So, you know, you may have 10 machines and they may have, you know, 100 containers running across them all. And inside each one of those containers, you may have, say, a thousand microservices. Well, if one container fails, you can say, oh, well, there was a thousand microservices running inside that, and I'll distribute it across the other containers that are available around you. So it takes it to a whole new level of you know, virtualization, I would say, but it's actually more about the application's code level in terms of the performance, reliability, and scale out. And all of this is done transparent to you. You know, again, you're just writing a piece of code and you're letting Service Fabric take care of the failures and the placement. Um, and to go back to your question as well, how do you know what uh, is being utilized by each one of the mm -hmm. individual microservices? Well, one of the key elements that when you write against the um, Service Fabric runtime is we report all of the state of the actual code itself. So the actual microservice, we can say the amount of CPU that's being used, the amount of disk that's being used. And we can look at each one of the machines and each one of the containers in the machine and go, oh, you know, this particular machine has this amount of memory left, and so I can pack this number of microservices on there. Mm -hmm. um, a great example of this is think of Azure databases again. They have some databases that are gigabytes in size and some that are teeny, teeny, you know, a few megabytes in size. And it's a bit like a giant rock and small rock problem. You know, what's the best way to have a set of machines that I can pack these different size services on? Well, Service Fabric goes around and looks at the overall utilization of the set of machines you have and decides where best to place all those services and optimizes for the most efficient use of all of those because it knows inherently what the memory usage is, the disk usage is, the network usage is of every one of those microservices. That alone could be really, really huge. Yeah. I mean, one of the core tenants, and you can imagine this, is um, you know, how do you drive the overall COGS utilization of a set of machines? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, SQL Azure, truth be told, in some of its very early iterations, wasn't particularly cost-effective for Microsoft. Um, it didn't use the machines in the most efficient way. 
Uh, now, as we've optimized that over the years in terms of how we place those services and how we do that dynamic placement and orchestration, you know, we've really driven down the optimization of how we best place those services and you know, effectively made the service most cost-effective for Microsoft. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you can try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month. Download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. When I have an application that I want to upgrade and it's running, what does that look like since it's uh, so distributed? Well, yes, you hit on a very important uh, consideration here of when you build a cloud service, what does it mean to manage my applications and, and do rolling upgrades all around that? Um, and this, you know, the one thing I would say to anyone who's thinking about building a service is think really deeply about how you do your upgrades and deployments and rollouts because you can't afford any downtime, you know, in a services world, you know, even an hour's downtime is not acceptable anymore. Um, you can't even do this at the weekends. It has to always be available. So the most important characteristic is how do you do rolling upgrades across a set of machines with no downtime guarantees? Um, one of the aspects that we took a while to kind of work on and get right with Service Fabric is the, the concept of how your set of machines um, gets partitioned into what's called a set of upgrade domains. So say you have 50 machines, you may have 10 upgrade domains where these five machines are in each different upgrade domain. And uh, you know, what you can do as you describe your application is you say, um, I, decry I say, here's a new version. You push that new version out into Service Fabric and then it walks across the upgrade domains and it, it fails over the set of um, instances of the application or the microservice is running on one upgrade name to another um, and the client automatically connects to that. We download new bits onto that set of upgrade domain machines, um, start up the new version two of this, check all the health of that that is running. Once it's healthy based upon policies that you've defined and what you want for the health of your app, you know, we'll then move on to the upgrade domain and sort of move through the set of machines until at the end of it, version two has been rolled out across the set of machines. So it's like orchestration again. 
of that yeah, of it's that orchestration of, exactly orchestration of your deployment um, and this is critical because you want to always have make sure that your your service is never down at any pixel point in time um, what's also important about service fabric is you can set these sort of policies where you once you pull down the new bits what's the health of that new application maybe you had some bug in there that as it came back up it was trying to read some particular state and it failed and it kept failing um, and you just say well if it's failed off to restart after say three times or in say a 10 minute period just roll back to the previous version and keep going um, so having this sort of you know one of the things that the teams inside Microsoft love is that they can have this guarantee that they either roll out successfully or they roll back successfully right. and not left in this intermediate state. Yeah. And I can't imagine writing that myself. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the actor model. So we, I think you might've mentioned it earlier, but there is an actor model in here. Um, so can you explain, well, first give us a little bit of background on what the actor model is and then, you know, when would it make sense to use that? Yeah, well, before I jump into the actor model, sure. we should just talk about programming models generally. Sure. Um, one of the key elements of Service Fabric is it actually, we, we, uh, it's designed as a platform for building services at scale, and it's designed for having multiple different programming models built on top of all of that. And we provide out of the box two programming models, one that we call Reliable Services, which I can talk about, and another one we call Actors. Um, but of course, one of the key aspects of Service Fabric is you can actually deploy any runtime that you want inside there. So, you know, one of the questions we often hear uh, from cust customers is, well, you know, Microsoft has cloud services today. Um, we have these web and worker roles. And, you know, how does Service Fabric fit with that? Well, you can deploy into a Service Fabric set of machines inside a cluster, web applications or Node.js applications or PHP or any one of your choice. You know, you can all get them uh, encapsulated in in a in a manifest description and deploy all of those. Of course, you know, Service Fabric doesn't know about the inner workings of some of those runtimes, but it does know about its two runtimes, the reliable collections and the actors. Mm -hmm. um, the actors one is uh, is a very interesting programming model that we actually you know in, uh, we looked at a project that Microsoft Research built called Orleans and basically brought that programming model into Service Fabric as a very uh, natural way to build distributed applications at scale that consist of small pieces of code. Uh, so we should really talk about, you know, what does an actor mean? Um, in many ways, what it means is an actor for us is just a, it's just like a CLR type uh, and an instance of that type. So you create an actor um, and it has an existence. Uh, and, it and it really is just a class. An actor is a class, right? Correct. It's literally just a class yeah. with an ID. Um, and, you know, you create one of these. Um, service Fabric is very interesting because, uh, you know, we have this concept of what's called virtual actors. So once you've created it, uh, it always exists. Um, it's running somewhere inside the system. Mm -hmm. um, if, it isn't, if it isn't used or touched for, for a certain period of time, we actually automatically garbage collect it and clean it all up. Um, the actors come in a variety of either having these ones called stateless, which is just a piece of code that's running, or stateful, where we make the code and uh, data reliable. Um, and once you've written one of these actors, yeah, what's good about it all is it's just a set of methods. Um, a key concept of actors is that you just have you know uh, you just have ten thousand of these, and you can discreetly call a particular one. So I might have actor one, two, three, and it does. Uh, a method for some business processing for me. Yeah. And you mentioned an example earlier about like IOT. So an actor could represent a device, for example, right? Correct. In fact, uh, 
a lot of our early customers who are you know representing and building distributed systems that they're building you know they may have a device say it might be uh might be a refrigerator or it might mm -hmm. be an oil gas pipeline sensor or it might be a car and each one of those are actors um and what's good about it is that you can just write this piece of code and then you can say to service fabric i want you to take care of the automatic distribution of these across the machines uh the scale out and the partitioning i just want 10,000, uh, 100,000, 10 million axes across these machines. Um, and all the load gets automatically distributed. Um, and if a machine fails, it's fine. You know, the axes will get distributed onto other machines. So IoT scenarios fit very well with this. Um, and, you know, another one we have is people who are building, going back to healthcare applications again, axes that just represent people um, and all the state about them as well. Um, so it's a, it's a very natural programming model that we've used. And what's also good about it is that one of the key characteristics of an active programming model is what we have is called turn-based concurrency. So when you write your code, you don't have to worry about uh, locking or threading models inside at all. Service fabric runtime, if you have method A and method B on your actor and you, you can call from your client or another actor on method A, we'll make sure that that method completes even if it's asynchronous before method B gets called. So it's very simple as you as a developer to build these sort of scaled out applications without having to think about complexities of threading models and, and scale and lock contentions and things. Talking about scale, is there a limit to the number of services or actors in any way, shape or form? No, actually, uh, Service Fabric, actually we like to say has no limit um, in the sense of, there's two uh, ways of thinking about scale. So one is, you know, the set of machines it runs on. Um, and what you naturally do with a service fabric um, application that's running is that as you look at the overall utilization of your machines, you can auto scale up the number of machines it's running on or scale it down. So you may build a, an application and deploy it as a set of microservices and run it on three machines. And then you say, huh, those three machines, their utilization is getting to like 80% capacity add three more or add five more. And as you do, those cluster of machines scales up. Um, SQL Azure today runs on clusters of five or 600 machines where they have tens of thousands of databases running. Um, you know, Cortana, for example, runs on uh, about 150 machines. And actually those machines are spread across uh, three different uh, Bing data centers. So the actual cluster of machines um, is spread across three Bing data centers, so they naturally have geo failover uh, in the event of reliability. Um, and then from your application perspective as well, you can say, I want my application you know, to scale up from, say, 10 partitions to 50 partitions to 1,000 partitions. So, you know, there is no limit to the scale. Of course, you know, there's a practical cost yeah, I was gonna at say, some so, point. Somebody will, somebody will <laughs> figure out a way to prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which will, which I'm sure what will be exciting to you. Like you almost, you almost want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, without doubt. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'd love someone to say we've created a thousand machine cluster and uh, you know, I think that would be quite expensive yeah. for the in, mind. In 64 <laughs> isn't big enough for us or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. In the 64, yes. That would be, that would be, you know, I, I hope someone runs into that problem. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, we don't think many people quite hit the some of the scale of the services that we run at Microsoft, but you know, I would love more than people that can come and challenge that. Yeah. So then how do I handle incoming requests? Are these all HTTP or do we have uh, more technologies at our disposal? 
Well, well, one of the interesting designs of a microservice type architecture is, you know, you can communicate with your service in any way that you want. And this is exactly what Service Fabric encourages. So, you know, when you build your piece of code and it's running, how you communicate to it is up to you. Now, out of the box for the active programming model, we provide a built-in communication mechanism for you, which actually uses HTTP under the covers to be able to communicate with those actors. So that becomes very easy. If you want to step down a level um, to the programming model that sits on, uh, to the reliable services programming model, there you can use any um, communication protocol that you like. So you can use HTTP or TCP or FTP or some other crazy protocol that you come up with. And you can, there's a framework for plugging in those uh, different types of protocols. You know, what we see most people using is that they you know, use HTTP as a communication protocol from their clients to sort of their front-end services. And then they typically use TCP between their front-end service and their back-end services. So, you know, a very typical but those design. could be running on the same nodes, right? Oh, correct. Yes, yes. In fact, I mean, that's, that's what's interesting to me. And I want everybody to understand that too, is that you could have, a, you could have, you know, each of your nodes could actually be running a little web server that's in a microservice. And then it also has the backend logic and you could be talking on the same node on different nodes. Like this stuff all gets mixed together. You know, some people, um, you know, maybe you're like OCD, <laughs> it might sort of bother them at first, but it, it's, it's such a neat way of doing things because you, you don't, you don't care about these silly concerns of like, I want the web server over here and I want my backend over here. They're just, they just exist and you don't worry about it. You've, you've, you've described it perfectly. Um, mm -hmm. This is exactly the architectures that we see now where, you know, particularly when you have these uh, ASP.NET 5 and Owen and these host independent um, frameworks, you can just say, well, I want to deploy, deploy 10 instances of a web server and I want to deploy 50 instances of this um, microservice that does business processing and I want to do 50 instances of this database service and you just run it anywhere inside this pool of machines. Um, and that's one of the great benefits. And then, and so typically we see what happens is people take, let's say they take a 10 node cluster, you know, 10 VMs running, uh, that service fabric is built into a, a set of a cluster of machines. And they say, I want to deploy, you know, 20 uh, web, ASP.NET web front ends for these. And then I'll deploy, you know, I'll then deploy 10,000 actors at the back that represent all my logic. And the web front ends, you know, call in over HTTP requests, and then they in turn just communicate with, you know, the actors at the back end for all your business logic. And that's a very typical design. So let's talk about state. You know, so how do I how do I manage state? I know you you mentioned a couple different ways earlier. You talked about like distributed collections, which it sounds like, you know, that's that's sort of um, um, replicating state between microservices so that you have some redundancy there. And you talked about leader elections and, and how that happens. Um, so I, I, I think I understand all of that. Um, what about like persisting state? You know, if you have something that you need to put into something like cold storage or, you know, like what, what are the different ways that I can handle state knowing that services are going to fail and, and things are, you know, I'm going to be managed. Yes. So, I mean, you have to take a touch on the topic of, you know, why state management is important and what the types of scenarios we're running into. You know, we notice more and more when you run a cloud service that latency matters to your service. Uh, people like to be able to have build responsive applications that allow you to kind of feel as if you're getting a dynamic behavior back quickly. And so you know, often what you find, and that's why we end up having building caches. Um, so, you know, it's very important to get, you know, code and data co-located together. 
But, you know, that's not always the case. But one of the key aspects that Service Fabric brings is a, a co-location of state data that's made highly reliable along with the computation, the code. Um, so effectively, what one of the um, concepts of Service Fabric is what we call stateful services, where we effectively have democratized HA. It's, it's no longer just a realm of just databases or some other back-end stores, but your actual code can replicate the data it has to other machines so that if that particular machine dies, you know, you can recover the state on another machine uh, for your application's data and continue running as if, you know, the failure never happened. So your applications don't necessarily have to store all their state in a back-end database. What this means is you end up with these architectures now that are very interesting where your hot data, the data that you access very frequently, um, whatever hot means to you, it can be the last second, it can be the last minute, it can be the last day, is kept in the, these reliable stateful services. And then sort of your colder data, which you don't access quite so frequently, is put into sort of the cheaper Azure storage or relational databases or you know other uh, backend databases like MongoDB and things like this. Um, mm -hmm. or, or DocDB and then, or DocDB, you know, yes. in, interestingly, it's going into like yet another uh, service fabric cluster. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, the fact that it's built on service fabric is, you know, it's an interesting aspect as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, you know, let me take an example. You know, we have, we have customers who sort of built an uh, application that uh, manages people and, you know, there is like a healthcare and they have these reliable actor models that replicate all of the metadata about a person. So, you know, their most recent visit, some of their current medical history and things like this. And, you know, they typically have data there that's maybe uh, anything up to, say, five or you know, 50 megabytes in size stored inside there. But all the medical records about that person, you know, the x-rays, the... Uh, you know, long PDF documents around this are all stored in back-end storage because that's the best and cheapest place. But, you know, when a request comes in for an actor for, for this particular person, it loads up that actor and has all their state available there. You can get that state very quickly. You can be very responsive. But then if someone wants a particular X-ray record, you know, they'll go into cheaper storage and pull it from there. So, you know, we, we see this very frequently with Inside here. Um, Intune, let's take Intune as an example. Intune manages all your devices for the cloud uh, where you have a subscription. And, you know, I may have a company that has... Um, 10,000 devices. Well, I want all the policies on those devices to be very, uh, to be updated very quickly. So, to be very responsive, so I can get uh, so they all of the device information is kept as stateful services. And when your device request comes in, it looks at the data for that um, and pulls that all out of the local persistent storage that Service Fabric provides. So, you know, this concept of stateful services is very important in a low latency, high throughput system. Um, and without this concept of stateful services, there really are some architectures that you can't build today because pulling all that data from backend storage and writing it all back over network is just uh, not realistic. Um, moving on to the next you know, concept, you know, how, what is the relationship uh, between service fabric and to Docker and containers? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so service fabric, um, Service Fabric is a platform that allows you to distribute the load across a set of machines and it runs these pieces of code as microservices. Um, where it runs them is it runs them inside containers. So, you know, the container that today that we launch for Service Fabric is just a process. So we launch a process. Uh, the process actually has a set of credentials around it all so you can secure it all. 
But of course, what a process doesn't actually do today is it doesn't uh, secure any of the resources that you use. So you're, if you're having an application that starts to use a lot of memory, you can steal a lot of memory from other microservices that are running on that machine and that become a problem. You know, what containers start to do, or at least containers that have resource management on them, is you can say inside this container, you know, restrict the amount of memory that gets used um, by these set of processes that are running inside it all. So, you know, where we're going with Docker and, of course, with what we recently announced with Windows containers, um, is that you'll be able to launch your um microservices that are running inside your processes inside containers so that we have both resource management that gets you know constrained about I can just use this amount of memory or this amount of network. And of course we'll also have containers that do security isolation as well. You know, we we announced hypervisor containers where you can secure you know, these containers between each other so that they're securely locked down like mini VMs inside VMs. So the way to think about it all is that you know, containers are a great way for you to sort of contain a set of application logic and deploy that. Um, and they do the resource management around it all. But ultimately, you know, containers are only part of the story. The thing that you're really looking for is an application platform for deploying the applications inside there. And orchestration, I think, is the key word, right? And orchestration is a key word, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, you have to realize that containers really are just, as the name express says, it's just a container today. They don't know anything right. about the application. They have no idea what's inside them all. Service Fabric knows about the application inside them mm. and what it's doing. It knows exactly what it's uh, what's running inside the container. So when something fails, it knows, oh, this container had these, you know, 100 microservices running inside there. It doesn't just restart the container on another machine. It can redistribute uh, microservices across other containers again. So, you know, and a lot of other people in the industry are realizing that, you know, you need these orchestrations. So, you know, Docker itself is building the next level up called Swarm, which is sort of the clustering technology. And then on top of that, they're also building, you know, an application layer as well. Well, you know, Service Fabric, you know, we will integrate with sort of the, the Docker containers as well. And we'll integrate with any other containers where we run pieces of code. But, you know, at some point you have to realize that the orchestration of pieces of code as your application is where you're trying to head to. Okay. Um, probably one of the big questions that our listeners have is, you know, so I build this application um, in Azure. Can I also run this on-prem? Can I run this locally? That's a great question as well. Yes. Um, so, yes, Service Fabric is designed to effectively run anywhere where Windows runs. Um, and one of the key ten, uh, key aspects is that we're trying to make sure that this is available everywhere. So, yes, Service Fabric is going to be built into the next version of Windows Server 2016. Uh, we're also looking at making sure we can ship it as a down-level install onto Windows Server 2012 R2. Um, Okay. We also announced um, uh, Azure Stack, which is a, our Azure on-premise offering for a integrated suite of services that runs there, um, and uh, and Service Fabric will be included there as a as a service offering inside this. So, in fact, we do this exactly today, where we actually have teams that um, don't run inside. Uh, they run some of their own data centers. They run outside of Azure and they run on physical hardware machines. And there they've installed Service Fabric on those Windows Server machines and you know, built a, a node or a set of clusters of those and deployed a Service Fabric application. And then, you know, with no code changes, they are actually able now to have a transition where 
they can actually move to Azure and set up a, a cluster of machines there and move their application from their on-premise machines to Azure machines and back again. Yeah, it's um, very slick. So it's very slick, yes. And uh, you know the concept of being able to build an application um, and then whether you have a cluster on your local box or whether it's on Windows Server or whether it's on Azure and to be able to deploy it all there with no code changes is, uh, is very appealing to uh, many enterprises. Yeah, what does the development experience look like with this? Oh, I wish I could show you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like what if you know if listeners are are listening and they're like, okay, I, I'm sold. I want to start using this. Yeah, what what is it? What do they do? What does that look like? Well, you know, at Build we announced uh, an SDK that was available for you to download onto your development machine and basically start building service fabric applications on your development box. And the developer experience is built in with a Visual Studio experience where you can go in and say, create new service fabric project. Um, it gives you an option of building an actor-based service or a reliable uh, collections-based service as two types of program models. It also gives you an option, and, and then it builds this um, application project, a, a service fabric application project that contains multiple of these microservices. And of course, you, one of the things you can include in that application is a web application as well. Um, once you've sort of built this whole application package, you, you have an experience on your dev box of being able to set up a five or a 10 node cluster. Um, that's exactly the same code that runs, by the way, in Azure on your one boxes. There's no emulators involved here. There's nothing that gets in the way. Uh, and then you can deploy that application onto your local dev box, um, hit, hit breakpoints break in a distributed environment. Uh, you can sort of debug through your code. Um, you can see uh, the state of the, the nodes that are running inside your cluster. Uh, you can fail over the machines and see what happens with your application. Um, and effectively, you have this development experience for building against uh, these microservices, against you know, the program models that we offer on your local box. Very cool. Um, anything else you wanted to mention? Any final comments? Um, I, you know, I, I think that uh, what we're seeing inside the industry is that there's a there's there's a distinct change now where people know that they have to adopt the cloud. Um, they've built many um, applications over the years that they have on premise, and they're looking at well, how do I choose and you know where do I go and take this as an offering that I want to run so I have global reach or I reach more customers. And, you know, whatever technology you choose, you've got to think carefully about the fact that, you know, how is it that I'm going to choose a platform that really meets the demands, particularly not only of all my scale and requirements, but also, you know, how I do all of my management and upgrade. And it's not an easy problem. Um, you know, you can go and stitch against together a whole bunch of things yourself and choose some different technologies. Um, but I think that, you know, what I'd say about Service Fabric is we, Microsoft, have taken a huge bet on this technology for our internal ones. And, you know, and we're very excited about getting a lot of feedback from developers and the community around this. You know, so we'd love nothing more than for you to download the SDK. There's still lots of time to give us lots of feedback on sort of the programming models. Uh, what other sort of programming models you'd like to see? What other languages you'd like to see? Some of the scenarios that you're encountering, um, and you know, really uh, give us the feedback uh, through uh, our forums that we have. We have an a, an Azure forum. Uh, we have um, Stack Overflow comments that we look through as well for Service Fabric, and you know, 
now there's plenty of time to kind of give us feedback on where we're going. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to add is that later this year, uh, we'll be pub pub uh, releasing a public preview for the actual service itself inside Azure. So, you know, if you're interested in getting involved with a private preview program to start testing your application inside that, you know, um, you're more than happy to kind of contact us and uh, you know, we can get you involved with some of that program. Oh, really cool. Really cool. And then uh, it looks like people can find Service Fabric if they want to get started at aka.ms slash Service Fabric. Is that right? That's correct. Perfect. And it looks like Carl has collected a couple different uh, links for the show notes. So uh, you can go check those out. And uh, uh, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. And Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a really cool technology. I know that it's uh, it's probably a little a little deep for some listeners, but I think it it gives everybody a little bit of taste so that they can um, go out there and take a look. And the the documentation is great, so I recommend that everybody check this out. It's a really cool technology. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Great, thank you. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 